Uh, good morning, church. I'm not sure if you brought Bibles with you. Um, maybe you're just visiting for the first time. I uh, don't have yours with you. Uh, we have Bibles to give to you. Uh, to you can, you're more than welcome to keep them if you need a Bible. Uh, if you didn't bring one today, raise your hand and the guys in the back will bring a Bible to you. For those of you that have them, two places that we'll mark today. Number one, John chapter 6. That's our primary place will be. The second place you can mark uh, for a cross-reference is the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 55. And again, I'll take you to the... Um, the table of contents in your Bible, if you don't know where those two books are, simply look at the front table of contents, and then uh, that'll tell you page numbers, and you can find your way to those references. John chapter 6 and Isaiah chapter 55, and we have in front of us more discussion of food today. <laughs> of course, not as our primary uh, topic, but that certainly factors in. Uh, so you've got John chapter 6 marked, you've got uh, Isaiah 55 marked, and let us um, go to the Lord in prayer and open up the Bible together. Father, here we are, Lord. We are um, struggling in some ways on on our own lives to find out, Lord, to figure out your will for us, Um, seeking you, Lord, and and maybe having trouble hearing. Maybe, uh, Lord, things in our life are are just... um, causing us to not be able to hear in this season, Lord. Other things just blocking our our spiritual growth, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we just confess that we can't do it, Lord. We are weak and unable in and of ourselves, Lord. We need your spirit to draw us, Lord, draw us close to you. Father, I pray that that in our own uh, will, our own power, Father, we we know we can do nothing in and of ourselves, but your spirit in us, Lord, can do so much through us. Father, I pray that our lives would be living sacrifices, that we would uh, be considering all the activities, all the money spent, all the things in our daily life, Lord, and how much of that is actually eternal and, and how much of it is temporary. And help us, Lord, to live for the eternal. Speak to us from your word today, Lord. Open our eyes so we can see wondrous things from your word. Give us an appetite for that which is eternal, Lord. Give us an appetite to know truth, to know you, uh, to know the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of sufferings. Father, give us the, the knowledge and the understanding to be waiting for you to return and to live as ready that you might return any day. It's in Jesus' name, all of God's people said... Amen. All right, John chapter 6, I'm going there myself. If you have been coming, we are we're just simply working our way through another uh, one of the biographies of the life of Jesus, uh, along with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is, is not one of the synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke all record uh, very similar things. Um, John is a little bit different uh, Gospel, includes some things that the other Gospels do not. Uh, seven specific miracles that all point to a certain teaching that uh, for Jesus to, to utilize those. Uh, eight I am statements that he's going to make. We'll see, I think, the first of those today. I am the bread of life. But John's written for a specific purpose. We know that. He just didn't just sit down and say, you know, I feel like writing. The Spirit of God led him to write 
for a certain purpose. And those of you that have been coming know that John tells us the purpose at the end of his gospel. It is so that you might believe. And believing you would have life. That's why he wrote. I think that's a good reason to write, don't you? Not just to, he didn't write so that people could be entertained or people could learn about Jesus. And and certainly that's part of it. But it goes beyond just learning about who Jesus is, but it's actually believing it. And then in that belief that we could really have life. And there's so many people looking for, trying to find life and, and falling far short. And Jesus says, I know where, I'll tell you where you can get it. And John tells us where we can get it. And it's uh, here in the sixth chapter where these things become more and more uh, visible and obvious to us, not maybe to them, but to us. He fed the 5,000, 5,000 men plus women and children, a tremendous miracle. It was late at night or in the evening. Uh, the disciples said, hey, send them away to get food. And Jesus said, no, we're, we're going to feed them. Uh, Asked Philip, so where, where are we going to buy bread? And he, of course, he knew already what he was going to do, but he was testing, testing Philip. So the problem at the end of that, everybody's filled, everybody's gorged. I mean, they have stuffed themselves in true American buffet fashion. They have eaten their fill and are stuffed. And the people were so uh, happy about this and so excited about Jesus. He'd, he'd been teaching them all day. Uh, he'd been healing their sick. And now he feeds their bellies, and they say, this guy should be king. And the funny thing is, there in verse 15 of chapter 6, Jesus perceived they were about to come and take him by force. Now, those of you that know Jesus know that that's kind of a funny statement. We're going to take Jesus uh, by force and to make him king. Well, he's not into that. That's not what he's, uh, he's come for, to be a king. In His kingdom is not of this world. So he immediately sends the disciples away because they could be prone to that, right? Who's going to be the greatest? You know, can we, can we sit on your right and your left, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom? And so he sends them away in a boat, says, I want you to get out of here. And he, go, he disperses the crowd and he goes up on a mountain to pray. That's where we left off. Verse 16 says, now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat and went over the sea toward Capernaum. That's the Sea of Galilee. And other, the, this miracle is in all four of the Gospels. And the other Gospels tell us that it was Jesus that told them to get into the boat. Um, and while he went and prayed, he was watching them. See, what happens next is they get in the boat. It was already dark. And, um, and Jesus had not come to them. The sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat. And they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. So a few things going on here. Uh, First thing is the disciples, they're in the boat. Jesus has told them where to go, uh, and they're rowing against the wind. You ever felt like that? Like you're you're, you're doing the Lord's work, but it seems that uh, you're not getting anywhere. And Jesus is watching them. You know, they think, well, Jesus isn't around. He, you know, he can't see. What does he know? Uh, he's just left us here to struggle. But we know from the other Gospels that Jesus had his eye on them the whole time. And, you know, there are sometimes, I remember when Jacob was young and watching him build with Legos. Now, I'm an old Lego guy myself. Anybody else here grow up playing with Legos? Yeah, man, Legos are awesome. And we, we secretly play with them now. We don't want other people to know because Legos are just fun. And I, as, a, as a young dad, you know, a young son, seeing him build with Legos and 
he was struggling to get this, these, this thing built. And I remember thinking, I should just go in there and do it for him. I was ready. Let's move over, son. Let me build that thing for you. I'll show you how to build with Legos, you know. But then the Lord stopped me and said, let him struggle. Let him work it out. Because you're going to stunt him and not let him work through things if you're always rescuing him. And so, and I think that's sort of been a, a memory of mine. And as I read about the disciples struggling, why doesn't Jesus just come and rescue him right away? Well, what does James say? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Because the testing of your faith is productive. It produces patience. If Jesus always stepped in at that very, at the, at the second, so we didn't have to have any struggle in our life at all, we would be stunted spiritually. But God wants us to grow. He wants our faith to grow. And so Jesus is watching them struggle. He lets them struggle for a time, not all night. He comes to them during the fourth watch, probably between three and six in the morning. They've been struggling a long time. And he comes to them, and he's walking on the water. How does that work? I have no idea. You've got gravity on one hand. You've got surface tension on the other. The surface tension of the water is broken up by the waves. There's no scientific explanation. He is walking on water water but if he can create water i'm sure he can walk on it so he walks them on the water they think it's a ghost peter said and this is all this is all happening john didn't record all of it peter says if it's really you bid me to come to you on the water and jesus says to peter come and that's when peter walks on water he's the only of the disciples that that actually had the faith to get out of the boat and uh but then he begins to sink why he, took his, he saw the problem and it took his eyes off the Lord. And, so, and the point is not to bring attention to those things, just to let you know this is all happening. John didn't record all that, but that's all happening. And so they invite Jesus into the boat, and then immediately they're on the other side. So there was th- still three and a half miles to go. But when Jesus is there with them, actually in the, his presence is there, all, all of a sudden the struggle is over, and they're on the other side. Now, you, you make application as you will to that. But I tell you what, there are, um, I'd rather go through any struggle with Jesus than without him. Everybody's going to struggle, right? Everybody's going to go through difficult times. Everybody's going to have periods in their life where they feel like they are just rowing against the wind financially. Rowing against the wind emotionally. Whatever it is, physically, I'd, I'd rather invite Jesus into the boat and let him take care of it. And let him be with me in the boat then. Because some people use those things to keep, a lot of people keep Jesus at arm's length. You know, they just, you're, you're okay out there, but not here in, in my boat. My boat is my boat. And if I, if I struggle with my boat, that's up to me. Well, once he was in, they were on the other side. So verse 22, and this is where John is going. That wasn't for him uh, the main point. Uh, they're on the other side to Capernaum. On the following day, verse 22 says, When the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So that's an awful lot of words to say this. They saw the disciples 
you get in the boat and, and head off at, at night across the sea. And they saw Jesus wasn't in the boat. And they saw that there was only one boat there. So now they're reasoning this through that they get up in the morning, they go to find Jesus, he's not there. Well, he didn't leave in the boat with his disciples. He didn't take a, a taxi, another boat. You know, where, where is he? We don't know. So they go in their boats to find him. They find him in Capernaum and they say, how in the world did you get here? Because it didn't make any sense how he would have, he would have gotten there. And, and I would have said, hey, I walked on water. You know, what do you think I did? Of course I w-. He doesn't even answer their question. You see, they were seeking him and he knew exactly why they were seeking him. So instead of saying, well, here's exactly how I, here's how walking on water works. You know, here's the, here's the mechanics behind it. None of that. Verse 26 Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, not because you understood the signs, the the miracles he did, the the breaking and the multiplication of the bread. And I have to wonder, just allow me for a second, I wonder if these signs are, they're not just pointing to him as as the, uh, the son of God, the Messiah, but really even to the, to the shepherd that's mentioned in Ezekiel. You know, there were, there were shepherds that were supposed to be feeding the flocks and they were fleecing the flocks. And so he does, sits them all on the grass like sheep in a big flock and he feeds them. He has compassion on them. And that was what was promised in Ezekiel, that there's, a, there's coming someday God says, I'll shepherd my sheep. And so I think that's what the signs are, are all pointing to this. And they missed that. They missed what the sign was pointing to. They just loved the sign itself. And this is what he says. I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the sign, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Were gorged. Don't labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. So Jesus, he just knows how to cut to the chase. Have you noticed that about him? He doesn't mess around, doesn't mince words, and, and I'm getting to that place in my own life as I speak with people, you know. Uh, I've mentioned this before. We don't have time for small talk. I like big talk. I like to talk, people, talk to people about big issues of their lives, of, of, of the world we live in. And it's been fantastic, I've got to tell you. I, I've just enjoyed so much fishing lately. I really have, and I don't say that in a, in, in a negative way. I've just enjoyed talking to people. And having the courage to talk to people about things that really matter. Not who won the football game. Who cares? Or who won this? Or who did that? Let's talk about things that really matter. And so Jesus gets down to, yes, you're following me. And I understand that. And that looks great. And there's a lot of reasons to follow me. And they were following him. Why? Because he filled their bellies. And you know, that's still a lot of the reason many people follow Jesus. Just, and we have the whole health, wealth, prosperity gospel that if you love Jesus, you'll drive a Mercedes like me and have a big house like me. Jesus was poor. He was poor. So that the health, wealth gospel, prosperity gospel does not hold water. You can't preach that to the slums in India. And we have a gospel that's universal. It's not about those material things. And that's his... That's his challenge to them. He's not mad at them. He's just, he has a way to reach into your heart. Just like with the woman at the well. 
He knew exactly what the broken well she was drinking from was. And he put his finger right on it. And if you will let him, he will put his finger right on that issue in your life, won't he? I mean, when I got saved, there were a number of things going on in my life. And I had, you know, from an outside standpoint, I had a good job, good life, you know, successful, all those things. Uh, incredibly handsome, well, very successful. All of that I had. No. You know I'm kidding, right? Okay. Just, wow, that pastor's really stuck on himself. No, I'm, I'm, that's called irony. That's called, a, that's a joke. But he knew, listen, he knew exactly what I knew about myself and was afraid to admit. And he put his finger right on it. And that's when I got saved, when I confessed that. And so he says to them, here's why you're following, not because you ate, um, you saw the signs. Not, you're not following me for who I am, but you ate a little. It was for what, what I was doing for your belly. Now there's kids, I told you, I give away Pez on Sunday mornings. I see the kids, I love to see kids come around to me, Pez, Pez, oh, you know, Pastor Steve, he's got and some of them, if, oh, I forgot my Pez this morning. And they, oh, that's okay. Give us a hug anyway. And others are like, oh, no Pez. See ya. No. But that's the idea. You know, sometimes if, if Jesus doesn't do for you what you expected him to do for you, well, I'm not sure I, I believe. Well, you missed the signs. You missed the signs. Now, he says, verse 27 is fantastic. He says, do not labor for the food which perishes. Now we have to eat, right? We, ha- we have to make a living. We have to go to the grocery store. We have to buy. God designed us with a continual appetite. We eat food and then we digest it. It nourishes us and then we have to eat again. We have an appetite for physical food. And Jesus is presenting this as a, a, an analogy, a comparison, a, a parallel to spiritual hunger. God has created also in people a spiritual hunger. There are religions all over the world. All different kinds of religions. Uh, and, and because people inherently have, the book of Ecclesiastes tells us, eternity in their hearts. Now some have said it's reincarnation, and some have said it's this, and some have said it's nirvana. Whatever it is, you go across the religions, there's something that people believe comes after you die. We know enough in our hearts to know this isn't it. It can't be. It'd be too disappointing and too discouraging if it was. And so people labor, just like they labor for physical food. You know, where are we going to eat? Where are we going to go out to dinner? We've got to go to the grocery store. And we spend half our lives going to the grocery store and going shopping and all of those things. And that's in America. In other countries, they spend their whole existence just getting food for the day and preparing that food. And they eat very little. It takes them all day to prepare it. And so he says to them, don't labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which, speaking of that life, which the Son of Man will give you. Now, keep pay close attention to that. He says, give you, because he's talking about laboring, and he talks about giving, and he says, because God the Father has set his seal on him, on Jesus. God has authenticated Jesus as the giver of life, as the Son of, of, son of God, Son of Man. He's authentic. He's the real deal. And yet, today, in, in our country, today, in, in this county, there are people that are laboring so hard for food and neglecting anything spiritual. Laboring for, to, to satisfy a physical appetite. 
Now, I found this article, and this is quite interesting to me. It's uh, from Business Insider, 13 Ways Americans Throw Away Money. I'm not going to list them all. There are a few food-related ones that I thought might pertain to our study. So here's what I'll tell you. Uh, $6 billion, the number one waste of money in America uh, each year, is in unused gift cards. Sixty, excuse me, six billion dollars, forty-one billion dollars in gift cards went unused from 2005 to 2011. Most of them lost or discarded. That's a lot of waste, isn't it? No wonder the uh, the stores love us to buy gift cards for one another because they don't ever have to spend the the product. Seven billion on ATM fees. Twelve billion in traffic tickets each year. Now, here's some of the food-related ones. That I, so Americans spend $29 billion on candy every year. Most candy has a negative nutritional value. So, they're gonna, so they say, so we're going to call it a waste of money. How much U.S. confectionery sales totaled $29 billion in 2010 with 60% on chocolate? Okay, so we'll allow that. <laughs> we understand a couple other food sort of related ones, $44 billion. Now, Americans, you guys work hard. You work hard to earn the money that you have to, to provide for your family. And then of that money, of those hours that you work and the overtime that you work, you're spending a lot of it on candy, uh, again, as a stereotypically, uh, $44 billion on tobacco each year. It's going up literally in a vapor, going up in smoke. $50 billion on alcohol and $76 billion on soda every year, which, again, U.S. soda market is worth $76 billion, according to Beverage Digest. As your mom told you, they say, these drinks provide no nutritional value and you're better off drinking water. Now, with that said, go with me to Isaiah 55. Because there, there is a method to my madness here. So we're working, buying these things, and buying things that then don't end up feeding, right? We buy and we spend on things that don't actually feed. And Isaiah 55, are you there? Yes? says, and I'll, I'll read it in my New King James, and I have it in another version as well that I'll read it to you. You can read along with me in the New King James says, ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, everyone who has this craving, come to the waters. And you who have, look, no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Verse 2 is a great question. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. That is a fantastic passage about the gospel to every person, anyone. He says, oh, everyone who thirsts is invited to come. Well, we're going to share communion today. And, and a lot of people say, well, is, do you have a closed communion or an open communion? Hey, the, the, the word behind communion is everyone. Every, everyone who thirsts, it's closed only to those that don't thirst. If your thirst is already being satisfied, once you've filled yourself on the things of the world, 
which only is temporary, then you have no spiritual hunger. You have no spiritual thirst. So for those that are thirsty or hungry for things of God, tired of just living in that continual cycle of trying to feed some deep uh, status or deep uh, hunger or thirst in my life, when you get tired of that, let me know. And, I, and I'll tell you, come. Come. Because Jesus is going to go on to say, I'm the bread of life. I and no other. There, there is not life. That bread is what feeds us. You need to eat, right? And that is the thing. You eat it, it satisfies for a time. And then you need to eat again. And all these things that we've talked, all those things, the pursuits, there are so many pursuits that we have that are, are, we're trying to satisfy something. And it's just not working. It's all temporary. And, it's, and we're chasing it around. We're spending tons of money, lots of time on, on chasing food that does not satisfy, spiritual food that, that doesn't really amount to anything. Amen? Am I, am I speaking the truth here? I mean, well, okay, back to John. Just wanted to see that. He says, come, you don't, does it take any money? Does he say it, it's, you got to spend money for, for getting what satisfies? That's the funny thing about it. We'll spend so much money and time and effort to pay for something that ultimately doesn't satisfy. How much do we spend on entertainment? How much do we spend on, on cable TV? And this is not meant to be condemning, okay? Please understand, this is not to condemn you. This is to make you think. This is to make you think. Because we spend, you know, how many thousands of dollars a year or month on, on entertainment? And when's the last time you... Now, maybe occasionally you watch a movie and you go, that was really good. That really inspired me. But a lot of the entertainment we watch, you end up watching it and, you, and I've spent two hours and I go, I got nothing to show for it. <laughs> At the end, I go... Why did I just waste my time watching that garbage? And there's hundreds of channels of garbage on to watch. Now, you have to decide what that is for you. But, I, that, you know, I'm just telling you where I came to in my life, just watching. And do I still watch garbage occasionally? Yeah. And I, then I watch. I go, oh, I did it again. Why am I, but what is it feeding? And what are we spending our, t- our time and our money on? That doesn't satisfy when God tells us that the food I have for you satisfies and it's free. Do you hear that? What satisfies is free. Water. Did you know that Evian spelled backwards is naive? Think about that. Whose idea was that to put water in a bottle and sell it? Who's going to buy that? We will. But it's free water. Well, I guess not if you live at the lake. That's another story. (laughs) That's another story. (laughs) But it's free. And then we pay for stuff that has less nutritional value and is more harmful to us. And we just, it's just, what I'm trying to do, folks, is get you to see it in the natural. That you look in the mirror and you say, yeah, what am I doing? What, what am I spending? Athletics. In our country, we are like at the top of the curve in athletics. We win more gold, silver, bronze medals at the Olympics than almost any other country. Did we, maybe we won the most last Olympics. I don't know. But educationally speaking, we're, we're way down 20-something in the, in the world in education. 
And other countries are doing great at education. They, they de-emphasize sports. Now, I'm not anti-sports. Please don't hear me saying I'm anti-sports. But what I'm saying is your kids have a better chance of getting an academic scholarship than an athletic scholarship, and that's statistics. But yet, because we're feeding something, we're, we're, you know, because somehow we want people to look at our lives and our kids and see our successfulness, that we continue to pour money into that thing, and yet we, we don't find satisfaction from it. And see, I'm, I'm hitting this hard because we're about to open up the table for communion. And I really, really want you to think. You know, we're reading Ecclesiastes on, on Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, and talking about vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And there's so much. You know, I found Jacob's playing soccer this year. And I'm coaching again. I've coached for years and years and years. We're playing soccer, and, and I'm on the field. And, you know, I, I'm missed, like there was a day when I was one of those dads that could put a lot of pressure on kids to, you know, oh, got to do better, got to work harder, all those things. And then I, and I, I was at a, at a um, tournament. And I saw all these just hotshot young kids out there playing and in hotshot programs. And I realized the chances of, of my child, as, as wonderful and as excellent as he is, uh, to go on to become this a, a, a Olympic soccer player, whatever, they're, they're, the pool is so huge that it's, it's a small chance. But here's what I realized is that when you can go and you have your perspective right, when, when Jesus is the bread of your life, when he's who satisfies you, then you can go out to the athletic field and it doesn't matter if you win. You're, you can enjoy it for the first time maybe because that's not where you're finding your identity. That's not, where you're, that's not what you're feeding off of. Does, does that make sense to you? And it just changes the whole thing. Now I, I'm actually enjoying it. Hey, if we win, great. If we lose, that's fine. But what's important is that we get to share the gospel with people. We get to tell people, and they get to see Jesus in our lives, and how, how do Christian, how's a Christian coach deal with a referee who makes a bad call? Mmm. Let's move on. <laughs> if I could have the folks that are, if you're going to serve communion today, I want you to make your way to the back, and I know this is going to be slightly distracting. We're not to the end of our passage yet, so don't get too excited. Uh, we're getting there, but I want to leave plenty of time for communion. They're just going to prepare to, to begin uh, serving. But I want you to stay with me here, okay? Are you with me? Okay. Uh, don't labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures. The difference. There's a food that endures to everlasting life, and it's free. And so they hear the word labor, verse 28, and they, say, they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Okay, well, how do, we, how do we do it? What are we supposed to do? And that's always the question. What do I have to do? We always think that it's about what we do, right? Somehow I have to make a contribution. And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. Now that could be the work uh, that God has done. It's finished already. This is the work of God. Or it could be the work that, uh, that leads to God. You could look at it either way, not sure which is the right way. But this is the work, either way you slice it, that you believe in him whom he sent. This is what you contribute, you believe. You trust him. That's what you contribute. Now, is this a, if, if faith is a work, we're, we're not preaching a works-based gospel. You know that. The only thing, but if you don't believe, that, through the gospels we have, you know, Jesus invites the Pharisees to come, but they were not willing to come. And the gospel says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Whoever hears this word of mine 
and believes. So that's all. This is what you, this is what you do. You contribute belief. Then works are, are part, works come out of that. But this is it that you believe, and that's that's what we have in front of us today. It's yours. Jesus is who He is. He is God in the flesh. You can use the word God, and it's a very a generic term nowadays, isn't it? We say, "Well, I believe in God." Well, that can mean a thousand different things, or if you're a Hindu, a million different things, or thirty-two million different things. And and. Jesus, God knows that. So he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to clear up all the confusion. I'm going to send my son. So that when we talk about God, we know exactly who we're talking about. And he takes away all of the vagueness and all of the cloudiness about God. And he says, don't you love it when you get to speak for yourself? I mean, when, when there's gossip about you or someone says something about you, and you go, that's not, no, that's not who I am. And then you get a chance to speak for yourself. Jesus the Bible tells us, is God's final word about himself. Here is who I am. And then, which is great, because now it's not vague. Now I know either I, he is, this is who he is. This is who God is. He's just, and he's merciful, and he's, he's got both wrath and love. And he says, here's who I am. And now you have to decide to accept me as I am or reject me. But I ain't changing who I am for you. Because I can't. That's his name. I am that I am. His name, God's name is not, I am what you want me to be. Right? That's not, well, Moses, tell him, I am who you want me to be, sent you. He says, I am who I am. And today, maybe today is the day of salvation for somebody here. Maybe today is the day where, where you decide to, you know, you can't live in the middle of the road, can you? To live in the middle of the road is to reject. And, and please understand, oh, I don't want to be misunderstood myself. Uh, this is not a hard sell. This is not a, a fear-based gospel. This is when you accept him into the boat, into your life, that's when life finally, you think you're living now? You don't have a clue. And we can't explain it to you. Those of us that know, we can't explain it to you. You have to you have to receive him for yourself. You'll never understand until you receive him. Amen. Those of you that know the Lord, amen. So, oh my. Uh, Phil, are you coming? Phil, where are you? Come on up, Phil. But still hang with me. We're not quite there yet. Wow. I, let's just stop there. Let's just, we'll pick up there next week. There's so much more I wanted to say, but I think that'll, I really wanted to get farther, but that's where we are for today. I'd rather take the rest of the time for communion. Um, and we'll pick up in verse 30 next week. If you're new to Calvary Chapel, understand this. We just start in chapter 1, and we go right on through to the end of the book. So whatever we miss this week, we'll pick it up next week. These are Chapter 6 of John is one of the most phenomenal passages in the Bible. And just to give you a, an idea where we're going, one of my favorite verses. Is at the end of all this, at the end of this sermon, so to speak, a lot of the disciples quit walking with him. A lot of people turn away from him and say, oh, man. That's too heavy for us. And then Jesus looks at his disciples. And he says, are you going to leave me too? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You and you alone have the words of eternal life. And that passage has been a staple and a mainstay of my life, a foundation for my life personally for years every time I, I i'm in that boat and i'm struggling away and i'm thinking man 
I could go back to doing this or I could do that. And, and I keep coming back to that verse. If not Jesus, then what? You're going to be a soccer dad? Then what? Your kids grow up and you find out you're empty? You're going to live for this thing or, or that? You know, live for the NFL and then they go on strike and you got no identity till they come back, you know? I don't know. What if, if not Jesus? Then what? I, is it going to be an addiction? Is that where life is found? No way. All those things. Believe me, Solomon tried it all. In the book of Ecclesiastes, he outlines it. You can read it. He tried it all. Everything from uh, sexual intimacy and, and satisfaction there to party lifestyle to building structures and monuments and all that stuff. And he said, when I looked at it all, it all was just empty. And the encouragement is for us to live for the eternal. And then at your funeral, people will, we won't bury you with your redskin shirt on or whatever shirt you wear. Please, I'm not a football fan, so cowboy, I don't know who you, but you know, what I want to be buried with is the confidence that I've anchored my life on a firm foundation. Because naked I came in and naked I'm going out. And I want to have that confidence that I have run my race and finished my course and I'm going to close my eyes and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want. That's really, I mean, I'm just being honest with you. That's what I want. I don't know what you want. What are people going to remember? Because the thing you're living for today is all they're going to say about you at your funeral when you die. What do you, what are, what's going to be said? I don't know. Um, let's pray, and then if you guys could start bringing communion down. Father, just pray for this group today, Lord. Just thank you for the honesty of your word. I pray that, Lord, that my words w- would not be maybe more harsh or interpreted that way, Lord, other than what you would have them. Lord, I pray that I'm reflecting your heart for people today as I share uh, from your word and from my heart and, and my relationship with you, Lord. I just pray that, that, um, that you open ears to clearly hear what the Spirit is saying, not the preacher, but what the Spirit is saying to them today about the way we spend life, Lord, about the comparisons between our physical hunger and the junk food that we choose and our spiritual hunger and the spiritual junk food that we choose in the absence of what is lasting, we tend to choose the temporary, Lord. And you know us, you know our frailty. We live in this world and we're sorting it out. And I pray you help us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, Lord. And, and we thank you for your grace and we thank you for your mercy and your patience with us, Lord. We thank you that you've taken it upon yourself to conform us into the image of your Son. That all these things you're allowing in our lives right now, the crises and the the difficulties and the circumstances and the challenges, all of these are working to build our faith, to build our character, and to conform us into the image of your Son. That we might know him fully, not just the power of the resurrection, Lord, but also the fellowship of sufferings. That we might be mature and free. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen, amen. Now the uh, folks are going to pass out communion. Phil is going to lead us in some.